Welcome to our special NRF edition of the Omnitalk Spotlight Series, the series that spotlights the companies, the people, and the technologies that are shaping the future of retail, or as we like to say, the podcast that focuses on tomorrow's companies today. I'm your host, Chris Walton. And I'm Ann Mazinga. And we are the founders of Omnitalk. Today's podcast is brought to you with the partnership and support of our NRF sponsors, Cleveron, Scandit, and Firework. Today, we are pleased to spotlight for you one of the hottest topics in retail right now, and that is quick commerce or instant delivery, as some like to call it. And joining us to speak on that topic today is quite honestly, one of the foremost experts in the world on that subject. And I'm talking about the co-founder and co-CEO of GoPuff, Raphael Ilishayev. Raf, welcome to the show. Chris, and thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited. Raf, I mean, much of our audience is probably similar with GoPuff. You guys have been on the main stages at pretty much every conference, it seems like, over the course of the last few years, especially. But for those who might not be familiar, will you give us a little bit of a background on GoPuff and on how it started? Yeah, I'll give you guys a little bit of the founding story, uh, which is uh, which is cool. A uh, little through our transition, what we are today, and yeah. uh, you know, we could talk about the future throughout the uh, throughout these uh, the podcast as well. Absolutely. So, you know, both Dikir and I come from entrepreneurial uh, backgrounds, right? Our families are first generation uh, Americans. We're first generation Americans. Uh, we worked with our families uh, throughout our, our childhood. My, myself in the restaurant business, Dikir mm-hmm. in the jewelry business. And we always knew that we wanted to kind of continue to foster kind of the entrepreneurial spirit that our parents instilled in us. And in college, uh, we saw that there was a pretty big problem, right? Uh, The in-store experience was anything but pleasant and on-demand delivery wasn't on demand. So we thought, you know, how do we flip this model on its head and deliver something that we needed ourselves as as college students? So we said, you know, we're going to vertically integrate, own the inventory and deliver from our micro fulfillment centers to our end customers. And we had a little bit of an unorthodox beginning, right? Where most companies kind of raise money and then, you know, like figure out how to nail the business model. We really yeah. nailed the business model and then scaled it. So we didn't raise any money for the first two and a half years. We uh, delivered uh, kind, of, kind of profitable results from day one and then really focused on nailing the business model in the first two years and then scaling it in a, in a really, really meaningful way. And, you know, as we continue to scale the business, we got into a, a whole host of new categories and uh, ice cream and alcohol, over-the-counter medication, uh, pet food, baby products, this new go of kitchens business, more recently COVID tests. The one-stop shop. The full gamut of, uh, of items uh, and continued to deliver some, some really, really spectacular results. So like, we have over 4,000 uh, SKUs per location now, uh, over 1,000 cities. Uh, we created this instant needs category, right? When, okay. when, we, when we started this nine years ago, uh, no one really believed that uh, this space should be vertically integrated. Uh, that's kind of changed over the last uh, year to two years. Uh, but even if you look at kind of third-party data, uh, Yipit was the latest one that released uh, information on this. GoPuff holds 75% share here in the US uh, within the instant needs category. And we're continuing to kind of deliver uh, time and time again for our customers, right? It's our North Star. It's how we think about delivering uh, each and every day. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta ask you because you used the word a couple times, instant, and I tease it in the beginning too, not knowing exactly what word you were gonna use to describe it. I had a feeling that's what you're gonna use based on other times I've heard you guys. But I had a discussion with somebody else the other day that was in a similar, you know, space. But like they were 
they were using different words to describe it. I think the word was ultra fast. Like, why do you guys gravitate towards instant in, in the way you describe the business? And, and what does that mean for everyone, really, psychologically? Yeah, I mean, everything we do, all the new categories that we expand into, all the new cities that we expand to, the new countries we open up, is all predicated on what our customers want. So when we thought about like how we're going to name this industry, right? Because again, we, we were the first ones to do it. We went back to our customers and we went back to like, how do our customers describe GoPub? And time and time again, right? The people were talking about, I instantly get all the things okay. that I need, right? And, yeah. you know, we, we went back to, to the way that customers talked about this. I think a lot of people, you know, mm. kind of name these things in, in a bubble and right. our, 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 our North Star is, you know, figuring out what do our customers want? How do we deliver it to them better than anyone else? So when we thought about how we're going to name this industry, uh, we went back to our customers again. That's how they're describing it. So that's how we describe it as well. Awesome. That's awesome. That's great. I'm glad I asked that question. So, so I got to go back to, I want to say, go back to what you said, like, cause you said two years, you guys did this kind of bootstrapped it yourselves. It sounds like made it work profitably. Talked to a number of companies over the years too, that have, you know, kind of started within this like kind of college idea, getting the things people need conveniently to them, but have struggled to make it work. Like what was the, what was the unlock that you guys discovered or found that, you know, makes the model turn, so to speak? Yeah. I mean, you got to do this the hard way. And they think like, like if, if, if you get a big unlock too early, too young, right, you raise, you raise right. you know, a boatload of money without really proving out economics, without proving out consumer need, uh, it becomes really, really hard to then shift in the future and say, like, how am I going to build a profitable business or a business that consumers really want? So we spent the first couple of months before anything else on really figuring out what do customers want? You know, how do we build an assortment that's uh, tailored to a customer need? How do we introduce technology inside of the four walls of the building to pick and pack better, to route bin and batch? Uh, and that, that's a forever process, right? Nine years. Right, right, it never ends, right? Yeah. <laughs> we're still iterating, improving and building. It's we like the Holy Grail. Best. It's just yeah. hanging yeah. out there, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we believe we have the best technology in the world today on, uh, on powering these buildings and then ultimately delivering very, very fast. But we spent a lot of time really focusing on our customer, really focusing on the model, really focusing on that before saying we're going to open up hundreds of stores. And like, you know, now we can open up, you know, 30, 40, 50 stores a month. Right. But to get there, it took us eight to nine years of work and trial and error and learning uh, to be in a position where we can say, hey, we could do something really, really awesome for our customers today. And it's so, been that long, huh? Eight to nine years. Yeah, it almost doesn't feel like that when we think about it. But yeah, that's cool. That's good that you bring that up. We, we, uh, we, we, yeah, we created this. Uh, we thought of it when we were 19. We launched it when we were 20. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm turning 29 in a few months. So, All right. Oh my gosh. Uh, so it's, been, it's, been, uh, it's been a wild ride for sure. Well, Raph, you mentioned a little bit earlier, like going into ghost kitchens um, and doing some other exploratory, you know, vertical integration, we'll say, is that playing into this means to continue to be profitable? And like, how are you guys thinking about the, the next kind of categories that you're going to go into? So if you look at our comp markets today, so markets that, you know, we define comp anything over 18 months. If you look at our comp markets, we're delivering very, very profitable unit economics, which is, which is really awesome. And the testament it gives us all the kind of confidence in the world to continue to open up new buildings. The product expansion or category expansion is first based on like, you know, what makes the most sense for the customer? You know, like we, we launched the kitchens business because a top three search result for us, the failed search result that was not producing a, an mm -hmm. item was hot pizza. 
So we're like, God, you know, building out kitchens and ovens and uh, all these things. And but you know, it just goes back to how we think about delivering for the customer, right? We we got our, our best and brightest in the room. We hired a whole bunch of people uh, to help us continue to scale that as well. But we said, even though it's operationally hard and it requires a lot of infrastructure and changing of infrastructure in our MFCs, we're going to do it because it's important for our customers. Mm-hmm. And the byproduct of that is better retention, better frequency, better it would be better, you know, profitability on a per order basis. But even without the kitchens business or anything else, we're already delivering really, really profitable orders in our top markets, right? And again, that that's not just through an assortment play. That's, you know, a lot of technology work in the background on how to been in batch orders uh, in a better way. We, we purchased a company last year called Ride OS and we bought them because frankly, they were better than us. And the routing and binning part of, uh, of, uh, of the life cycle of delivering orders. So we're really focused on like, how do we build the best technology to power all these things? And assortment changes are based on consumer need. And if, even if they're infrastructurally heavy, <laughs> assortment changes like the kitchen's business. Right. Well, I was going to ask you about that too, because localization has been something you guys talk a lot about as a core piece of your merchandising strategy. I know, and whenever she's because what we get a ton of local food startups here in Minnesota too, whenever she's asked about this, she always says you should check out GoBuff and what they're doing, but um, for this reason, but you know, how does localization play into what you guys are trying to do? And if you can speak to that strategically. I think the audience would love to hear about it. For sure. Um, I think before I even get into that, I think one of the things that's important to understand about you, Kira and I, like we have two focuses that we focus on in life right now. It's, okay. It's building GoPuff and developing something. It's, you know, it's our whole life and it's helping the next generation of entrepreneurs. That's the, the remainder of our time that we, we focus and allocate our, our, our personal time is, you know, what's the next generation of businesses? How do we help founders? How do we help young founders that, you know, can help? Because we are where we are simply because we had the right people around us that hmm. help coach us and develop us into, into something that's great. Without that, we wouldn't be where we are today. So we feel like it's a, it's a personal mission of ours, a passion of ours to kind of give back and make sure we can coach the next generation of, of entrepreneurs. As it relates to CPG, that's, you know, uh, imagine that on adrenaline, right? Like we, we mm-hmm. definitely want to help. Right? It's, it's, it's what we do kind of day in and day out. So we really want to help the next generation of emerging CPG, right? Especially local emerging CPG to really yes. develop them to, to create something great. So it's why we created Put Me On. Right, it's a it's a it's a program that helps kind of underrepresented, underutilized founders uh, to get on the platform and get national distribution kind of overnight. Uh, but even if you're not part of the Put Me On program, we allocate uh, a certain amount of percentage from a, a, a total SKU count perspective on a regional basis and a local basis for local SKUs. Even if the data suggests that, like, hey, that's not the best use of uh, of the building's uh, you know output or the building space. We still feel like it's important to say like, hey, you know, somewhere between, you know, 100 and upwards of 600 SKUs on a local basis per MFC need to belong to, you know, the local, the local players there. So it's something that you, Kira and I have kind of put stake in the ground in, uh, you yeah. know, uh, not, not, not to be moved. And, <laughs> and, and, and it's something that's important for us. And we're going to continue to develop Put Me On as well. So like put me on as like the official program uh, that people can apply for and uh, and kind of get on and get like really, really tailored attention to. But even if you're not a part of put me on, if you're a local business, you can always go on gopup.com and uh, kind of get yourself uh, a chance to get onto the platform. And it's something that we're really, really excited about. 
Yeah, I love that, Raph. I mean, I think that's something like, like Chris mentioned, you know, I think people who have these emerging brands are so concerned by like, with the textbook way of get into major grocers, get into Costco, get into, you know, the big box stores, but they really have a unique play, I think, with you. Um, And I think the data that you're collecting on the customer side, I imagine what your customers are asking for the demand there. Um, and one thing that we heard um, your other co-founder talk about at Grocery Shop last year that kind of falls in line with this is talking about, you know, your, your retail media network, how you're bringing um, advertising direct to the customer in that instant moment, which I think is so important to call out. You're getting the customer in, you know, one of the most perfect spaces possible when they want that chocolate bar, they have that craving for something and they can get it in 15 minutes. Tell us a little bit about kind of the, the methodology behind creating that ad network as another source of revenue? So that started off with a lot of our CPG partners saying like, hey, you guys have <laughs> really, really unique. Mm. Uh, you're, you're the first party here. Uh, like, can you guys start testing some of these things, right? So sure. we started before, but before we even started testing, like, you know, you know, selling ads on the platform or anything else, we started with sampling. And we said, okay, like, how do we put a hyper-targeted sample into a bag uh, that's really, really relevant for the customer. So like what we didn't do is say like, we're not going to like, you know, this transformed into something much, much larger today, but we're not going to put uh, an item in the bag that our customer is not going to want. So we're not going to put a carbonated soft drink into a bag of a, of a, of a healthy consumer. It's, mm-hmm. just, not, it's, just, it's just not something that we're going to do, right? It's, you know, it kind of goes against the customer ethos. But it, when it makes sense for the consumer experience and it's additive, um, it's something that we're, we're, we'll do. And what we saw early on is... Uh, in the in the in the kind of double digit spend uh, the double digit realm of people adding that item that was sampled into their next pack, so we're like, all right, we're on to something, right? Like, so, so something is really making sense. This is something that advertisers are going to really love, and our advertising platform today has a three to one ROAS. So for every dollar that you put into the ads platform on GoPub, it's like an ATM machine. You get three dollars back, right? And it's not like like a like a Facebook ad or uh, you know a Google ad where you know somewhere down the funnel someone will purchase this item. This is, hey, you're clicking on an ad and you're consuming it 15 minutes later. Yeah. So yeah, that the iteration and the work uh, on building that ad platform took a couple of years and, uh, and uh, a lot of work with our partners. Frankly, we, we, we owe a lot to them. So like, as we roll these things out, we're like, this is great. But if it was like slightly like this, it would be a lot better. So like, we took a lot of feedback from, uh, from our, our partners and our vendors uh, on how to make it better. And we're continuing to iterate and improve it. Like in the next couple of months, we'll be launching, you know, a couple more features that are are really asking for. Uh, But it's something that we're really excited about. And it's something uh, our our partners love because it has such a high ROAS, right? And it's something that people are consuming immediately. Right. And that brings brings me me to think about too, like, you know, and for for lack of a better way to say it, Ann and I are all in on this concept of instant delivery. And that's why we're excited to talk to you today. But I mean, I wonder if you can, use what you just said to and help explain to our audience why is the idea of instant such a need state for people like what evidence do you guys have that you know shows like i've heard you words like addictive thrown around like you know that this is a big idea because once people get the taste of this they they, they continue to want it over and over again yeah i guess the, the best way to, to describe it is like imagine the first time like you ordered an uber Right. Okay. And like mm-hmm. how, how magical it was that like <laughs> right. you click the button on an app 
And then like, there's a freaking car outside. Yeah, right. Yeah. Eight, it's nine, cool. 10 minutes later. Like, it's like, it's ungodly to even imagine ordering a yellow cab today or like going in any other process uh, than, than kind of going through an Uber or the ride hailing program. So it, it's not too dissimilar here. Uh, like once people try this and realize that like, and a lot of people have, have misnomers for this, right? Like, like, like anyone that uses instant delivery is lazy. I think that's uh, the worst way to look at it, right? It's like, we're, we have lives that are busier today than they've ever been. And everyone is like, like this pandemic and every, everyone is so busy and, and has so much things going on in their lives. If we make this part of your life just a little easier and, uh, you know, kind of delivered to you in a really, really high quality way, uh, we've seen kind of time and time again, you become loyal for life, right? We have customers that are continuing to use GoPub that started using GoPub in our inception, right? When we were a completely different GoPub, right? Like, you know, a hundred SKUs versus, you know, four, four, four and a half thousand SKUs. But the reality is we see that people stick around and they stick around for a really, really long time. So it's getting folks to try it out for the first time, see that it's really amazing, uh, that it's kind of frictionless and it gets delivered to you quickly. Like think about all the times that you were in a, um, you know, you, you start, usually people start go up when they're in a pinch for something, right? Like, oh, I need, you know, olive oil or I need salt or I need a snack or I'm a craving for ice cream. And then it develops into something much, much larger than that of like any kind of neat state I have in my life, I can rely on GoPub uh, to get it to me right away. There's something really that just sparked when you were talking about that too, Raf, that like, this is almost like having the a personal shopper, like personal concierge for mm. every single person, you know, like you getting something like being able to basically, you know, hit an snap app, your like you're saying, yeah, snap your fingers and something, somebody's running and saving you that time and doing something for you for a pretty minimal fee. I mean, it, really when you break it down, um, can you dive into a little bit of how that works? Cause we just see as the consumer, we hit a button and it's there in 15 minutes, but what are the mechanics going on on your side? You know, you mentioned micro fulfillment uh, quickly, but like what, what is the, what is the backside of, of how this is getting from my fingertip to my doorstep? Listen, it's all magic. I'm kidding. Feed um, <laughs> me up, Scotty, right? That's a fine right? answer, That's too. Works, That's right? a fine yeah. answer. Um, no, I mean, listen, uh, the supply chain portion of this business and the delivery operations are, are pretty funky, right? It took a lot of a lot of iteration, a lot of work to get it done. So, like, we started with, you know, in Philadelphia and the four walls, like, what is the basic set of technology we need to power these buildings? Okay. And then we said, you know, what are the partners we're going to use? At first, we started with distributors. What are the distributors that we're going to use to help power the, the first part of the supply chain of bringing the goods from big distribution center to our micro fulfillment centers? What do we need to do for storing all the goods in there and managing the inventory inside of the buildings? How do we pick and pack in under two minutes? Then how do we put it in a, in a, in a bin? So the, the orders don't go out with a single order. So we're able to deliver very, very fast with multiple orders in a batch, right? You need mm -hmm. some critical mass to do that. So the predictive technology of like, you know, if an order comes in, what is the likelihood of another order coming in within that same block or square block within the next 30, 45 seconds a minute? So that, that required, you know, it mm -hmm. sounds like an easy problem, but that was years of work <laughs> to, to, right. to, to kind of get to, to a place where we can accurately predict the volume that's, uh, that's coming in. And then the last part, the last mile, Right. Yeah. Of, uh, then, you know, building, we, we call it go drive. So the driving platform for, for our drivers and how do we effectively route for our drivers? How do we make it easier for them to deliver? 
How do we add a frictionless experience as we start to expand into bigger cities that are more density? How do we power bike delivery and scooter delivery in a really meaningful way and like account for weight on, uh, on multiple orders going out at the same time? So it's complicated and we, we're making the situation even more complicated so we can deliver more things for our customers like adding GOBA kitchens, like adding uh, you know uh, OTC and uh, all these new categories. And we're now starting to open up bigger distribution centers where we control the entire uh, experience end to end. So like, you know, we've relied historically, we're still gonna have distributors for, for a lot of our items, but we relied historically 100% on distributors, right? We now have, you know, multiple centers, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of square feet, each one of these uh, guys to deliver ambient foods directly into our distribution center and reallocate out to our micro fulfillment center. Mm -hmm. That really, really speeds up the time to introduce an item. And, uh, and really control the experience at the end. If there's anything that we learned throughout COVID is controlling the supply chain is critically, critically important for in stocks and, and other things that are really important for the customer. So um, the way that the sausage is made is complicated, but the reality for us is that we want to make that just a truly magical experience for the customer. So when they click place order for the very first time and it shows up to their door in 12 or 13 minutes, they think of it as like, hey, this is something that's truly magical. It's something I want in my life every single day. Obviously in the background, right? There, there, there's a lot of gears that are moving on the supply chain into the micro fulfillment centers, the, the receiving process of how to accurately position it around, how do we then you know, scan and pick it back? We call it go inventory. Right? Obviously guys, we, we love the word go. Right? Yeah, it sounds like. <laughs> to all of our modules, but um, the, the positioning of, of the, the goods inside of the buildings, all of that, right, is, is happening kind of in the background, but for the customer, you want to make it seem as, as frictionless and as magical as possible. Yeah. Yeah. No one likes to see the sausage made. So, right. <laughs> I mean, to use that analogy, but I think one thing I'd point out too, for the listeners, because, you know, we've got some pretty hardcore retail walks in our audience too, is what you're describing from an automation standpoint, size of the buildings, type of assortment, how you need to kit, what's, you know, what's ordered, that's a very different style of automation and operation than say like a traditional grocery store too. So there's complexities here on different levels that have to be addressed than what you're seeing from your standard garden variety attempts to automate like the back of a grocery store at this point. Um, so yeah, I was actually, it's cool that you brought that up because one of the things I want to close with was, you know, we heard at grocery shop plans to roll out, I think, and what was it? 500 uh, micro fulfillment centers throughout the country, um, you know, very quickly. Uh, like how does that actually even happen? Like how do you guys... How do you guys do that? Like, yeah. I mean, I, I, from all, I'm curious about this from all aspects, from the co-CEO standpoint, like, you know, how do you marshal the resources to make that happen? Like, do you guys what, get to have any fun? Right. Like what happens if, what do you guys, you're 29 almost. Right. Like, you have shovels? I mean, what, what all goes into this? <laughs> well, we started opening up these buildings ourselves before uh, we, before we had other folks kind of figure out how to do this in a much better way than, than we used to do it. Like, when we used to move to a building, like when we opened up Boston, it was our second market. Okay. I physically went and moved there and lived inside the MFC for four months. That was my home. Sure, yeah. What? Yeah. So like, Total yeah. entrepreneur. Yeah, right. That, that, so like you figure it out from the ground up on all the things that can go wrong. And then once you have the playbook of, hey, what makes a, a good building look good? Or what makes all the zoning complexities, all the building complexities, mm. all the construction complexities work? Then it's just, you know, I don't want to oversimplify this. It's like, it's a lot of planning, right? And then there, there's other layers to this that make this even more complicated, right? Like there's uh, rules in the liquor licensing world and where a liquor license can be placed. 
and uh, it, it minimizes even more on what kind of buildings we look for and what kind of zoning overlays are there moratoriums or anything of that nature so we have now uh, you know i don't want to take away from the team we have a massive real estate construction development team that works harder than anyone i've ever seen on finding these buildings getting these buildings approved constructing them in record time setting them up and then being able to be open very very quickly right when we launched in new york we launched with dozens and dozens of buildings in a single day to cover all of Manhattan, like overnight. So like a lot of times, a lot of people launch cities in piecemeal. When we launch a market, we really launch a market, right? The same mm. thing that we did in the UK when we launched London or Newcastle or Manchester. Uh, as we started to think about this on a global scale, you know, we had to enact all the learnings that we had throughout the years in the US to kind of expand globally as well. But you know, it started with, you know, kind of learning this kind of brick by brick for Yukir and I. And then it was about, you know, building a really cohesive process, a lot of technology, right? I, you know, I keep mentioning tech here because it's, it was so critical to, to uh, establishing the right process on opening up these buildings. And then, you know, over time, it, it got more streamlined, right? We went from opening up, you know, one building a quarter to one building a month to a building a week, then multiple buildings a week. You know, we had times this year that we we're opening up two buildings a day, right? And so it was like, it was, it got, it got, to, it got to a place where, you know, where we had a lot of throughput. So we have the levers now over, you know, after, after, you know, near decade to, to pull, to open up a whole lot of buildings. And since you care been talking grocery shop, that number has increased because we're opening up now globally, right? Not just, right. Not just in the U S mm -hmm. uh, but we're, we're really, really excited about what that means for our customers and giving more and more GoPuff to the people that need it most. Well, Raf, I want to expand on one more thing that you said too. Um, something that I know our listeners are going to ask too is what does expansion look like outside of the urban cores for you? I mean, I heard somebody talking on a podcast who's in re the real estate world saying that, you know, GoPuff is really going after not just urban cores, but also after the suburbs. Can you elaborate a little bit on what operations might look like beyond, you know, the major cities that you've launched in? I mean, we're testing a whole host of things right now, right? Like uh, after we acquired, so we bought a company in Kentucky called Liquor Barn, uh, which is the leader in uh, the alcohol retail space in Kentucky. We buy a lot of these uh, these liquor businesses for the liquor licenses that they own. It's sure. not, not, not to dive in too deep. It's something it's very, very complicated to find real estate and attach alcohol to it. Kentucky was one of them. So it became, it became a great acquisition for us. But a lot of the spaces that they own are in very rural areas. So okay. we started investing on, not, not in the suburbs, right? Like, hmm. you know, what does a GoPuff in a 15,000 population town look like? Huh. Or 20,000 population town look like? Yeah. And what I'll tell you is that we're seeing some really, really cool results out of even small, less dense areas, because this is something that people need all over the place, right? It's not just something that like someone in New York or Philly or Miami needs. Yeah. This right. is something that people anywhere need. So um, I'll tell you in 2022, uh, we're, the big focus is urban adjacencies and suburbs, right? Because okay, we, okay. we're frankly, we're, we're, we've run out of cities to, to we're, we're in every, every city in the US. Um, we're going to be testing even less dense areas and seeing what that looks like, seeing what the economics look like, you know, what's the throughput, what's the sign up. Early results are really positive, but you know, it's kind of still, we're, we're, we're in the early innings here to, to figure out like what, what the math looks like for on the rural side. But on the suburban side and the urban adjacency side, 
this is something that's going to be full steam ahead in 2022. That's fascinating. I, I love especially, which I didn't know, the the liquor license component of that as kind of a way to explore that. And as a driver, I think, for especially the suburban deliveries, um, what can you get quickly? Because that's a that can be a pretty large effort, especially in those rural communities. That's that's really incredible. Yeah. Um, I, I love the other thing too, and I, I love the entrepreneurial yeah. aspect of how he described that too, because yeah. you're kind of testing in a tough case, like that's a tough use case, right? Mm-hmm. Roth, like if you can make that work, you can probably make anything else work when you figure that out. And that's probably how you're going about. I can see you shaking your head. Yes, that's exactly part of the theory and why you're doing that. So. And, and, and clearly it's going to be different, right? The shortman right. needs to be different. The, the valley prop needs to be a little different. It just, it, just, it just is, right? That's what we notice about when we expand it throughout the country, right? Different regions just require, right? The core shortman stays the core shortman, but like you need to really, really tailor and kind of add to go back to your earlier point. If you don't have the local stews there in the mm-hmm. suburban markets, you're toast, right? right? So like really positioning that and leaning into that in a, in a bigger way I think is something that's really important for us as well. And you're also right. You're also competing against, I think, a higher bar with the grocery trip, right? Because suburban grocery is easier to get to from a convenience perspective than, say, the downtown New York area or San Francisco, right? Am I? Is that something you're having to counter too, Raf? Or, or sure. how do you guys think I mean, about that whole aspect of things? Listen, grocery is going to be something that we lean into in a really big way. Uh, I think, if anything, the European business showed us that grocery can be a massive part of what we do. A quarter of all of our sales have been grocery items mm, in Europe. Uh, when I say grocery, I've been talking about fruits and pure plate fruits and vegetables. Really? Okay. Wow. Um, so, you know, as, as that, how, how that relates to the different regions in the U S and how we roll that out is still something that we're really figuring out. Right. We're testing it kind of across all different tiers of markets and seeing some go up kitchens type of results, which gets us really excited. Uh, so, you know, TPD on how that looks like in, uh, in all, all the other regions in the country, but it's something that, you know, really, really excites us as well. Yeah. I just want to ask one more question just cause you know, you only get this chance so many times, but I'm curious, you know, as, you, as let's say we flash forward a year from now and God knows what's going to happen with COVID and everything, but you know, from your position of leadership, like if you're sitting here back, maybe you're back with us a year from now and you're saying like, Hey, this is the one thing I really want to accomplish this year. I want to look back on and be proud of like, what is that for everyone? Uh, from my perspective, you know, I, I really, I, I probably sound like a broken record here, but like everything leads back to the customer for me, right? I have a very simple decision-making framework in life, right? It's customer, okay. company, team, individual. When I'm hiring people, if people are living under that framework, if I'm dead last and the customer's first and the team and, and the company are somewhere in the middle, right? That's a great hire. If the decision-making framework is any, anywhere skewed outside of that, you know, it's probably not going to work out for us. So hmm. The reality is, is like all the countries that we're expanding into, all the regions that we're expanding into, if we made, if we listened to the customer and executed against it correctly, that's job well done. If we said, hey, we know better, right? Which, you know, happens from, from time to time. People like kind of make assumptions on what the customers want instead of just listening to the customer. I think that's where we get a little weary. So as we think about new assortment opportunities, new expansion opportunities, uh, new new products in general. So we're launching new lines of businesses. If we really stay close to our customer, keep our ear close to the ground and listen and execute as a byproduct of that, then you'll see a very, very happy co-CEO. Uh, if, if, uh, you're, if we don't do that, uh, that's where kind of Yikir and I are, are most vocal and uh, most, uh, I would say, 
passionate against on, you know, hey, we have to really course correct and go back to our roots on really listening to the customer and delivering from them in a, in a really, really special way. That's cool. It sounds like you and, and, and Yakir are pretty much in lockstep with each other. The co-CEO role is a unique thing too. I mean, that's what Ann and I do too. So we could probably spend a whole show on that too. In terms yeah, of no, sure. I mean, that. listen, Yakir and, I, Yakir and I are a little different, right? Like Yakir's yeah. a little bit more introverted than I am. Um, but I'd be hard pressed to find two other people in the world that have values that are as aligned as Yakir and I's. Yeah. We see yeah. the world in an identical way. Uh, I've argued with a lot of people over the last nine years, but I never argued with Yakir. All right. And it's because we really, really see the world in a very similar way. We're additive to one another and, you know, beyond anything else, we're best friends. So it makes things a whole lot easier. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I feel the same way about Anne. Um, and uh, yeah, hopefully Akira hears you say that too, when he plays us back. So as we're closing up here, if people want to get their products on GoPuff, they want to find out more, they want to, you know, get in touch with you or the team, what's the best place for them to do that? So you can go right on gopub.com and, uh, you know, you, you'll see all the information on how to apply to get onto GoPub. You'll see the put me on program. If you want to apply to be on put me on, it's something that you, it's a personal passion for you, Kira and I, so please apply. Uh, we, we actually just, unfortunately just finished our, our second season of entry into put me on. We'll have a third one that's coming soon. All the information will be on there, but, uh, you know, you can find all the information right on gopub.com. Yeah, it's so simple. I've I've taken some local brands through it myself, and I'm I'm just really impressed by how well you guys have done that. So, well, we got we got a long way to go. We're just getting started. Yeah, hey man. Thanks for sitting with us today. For everyone listening, that's Raphael Ilshayev, the co-founder and co-CEO of GoPuff. Oh man, it was a blast. Great to have you on. Of course, thanks for having me. And on behalf of Ann, Raph, myself, we hope everyone enjoys NRF. And as always, be careful out there. This special NRF podcast was made possible through the support of the following sponsors. Cleveron. Cleveron is a full-service package handover partner offering in- and outdoor locker solutions to retailers and grocers worldwide. Cleveron has more than 13 years of experience and partnerships with the biggest names in the business. Head to Cleveron's LinkedIn page to get in touch with Cleveron's representatives here at NRF and Scandit. Scandit's smart data capture platform helps retailers delight customers and automate store operations through unmatched speed, accuracy, and intelligence. From the shop floor to back of house, retailers can move processes onto smart devices while boosting employee efficiency and retention. Scandit also enables great customer experience services like Scan2Go and personalized promotions to enhance loyalty. And finally, Firework. Firework lets you implement shoppable short-form video and live stream commerce on any website or app on the open web. Why rent a kiosk in someone else's bazaar when you can have a storefront of your own? Take back your business, take back your brand with Firework.